0: Hello and welcome to the EDH RETCAST. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined, as always, by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, he keeps mixing up the card Brainstone with the card Stone Brain. It's Matt Morgan.
1: So, Joey, on Halloween, I met a vampire who happened to be outside vaping. I thought it was kind of weird until they introduced themselves. Uh, It turns out their name is Vlad
0: the Inhaler. (laughs) Oh, wow. I am... I am nothing but flummoxed, Matt. How do you do this every week? It's it's a skill. <laughs> it
1: just comes to me. Yeah, it was actually really cool too. Uh, they they identify as a vampire, not a vampire. I was I was incorrect.
0: <laughs> anyway, let's move on. <laughs> Up next, Fair. he heard that there's a new mechanic called prototype, but he himself is more of an amateur to type. It's Dana Roach.
2: Um, did you know that turkeys can jump higher than the tallest building? I did not. Yeah, buildings can't jump, so it's really not that. Dang it! Oh, challenging. My, dang it! No, oh
0: wow! <laughs> you know what? I so this is the first episode that we're recording after I've just gotten back from the Magic Thirty Anniversary event, and I. I th- one of the things that we heard from listeners there so much was that people love the dad jokes on this show. They really really love them and they even tell them to like their family and coworkers. And I just have to say to those family and coworkers, I'm so sorry for what we've inflicted <laughs> upon the
2: world. I'd like to apologize for all my co-hosts. Uh, yeah, oh my you guys
0: <laughs> Matt and Dana, I I don't I, think we need to apologize. Sorry. I think we need to say a simple you're welcome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love you guys so much. Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the EDH RecCast, what we like to do is give all of that data just a little more context. Matt, do you mind telling us what it is that we're going to be talking about in this week's episode?
1: Well, since events are happening again, like you said, Joey, you just got back from one. We're going to one very soon. We decided to talk about what we look for in decks that we do bring to these kind of events and then what decks we don't bring to these kinds of events.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think at, if if my numbers are right, if I'm doing the math right, this episode might go out while we are actually at the Magic Summit event in mm-hmm. Salt Lake City. Um, I, I'm, I think my numbers are right there. I'm not actually completely positive, but it is pretty useful, I think, to talk about what decks we do bring, what decks we don't bring, and what the cases for that might be. How many decks we bring even could be a, a pretty important place to start. But before we get into that topic, let's do a couple of quick, fun shout outs.
2: Yeah, first I'd like to thank Chase, also known as Mana Curves, for helping us edit this show. You can find them on Twitter at Mana Curves.
1: And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by liking, subscribing to this video on YouTube, subscribing on all your podcast apps, or you can go to patreon.com slash EDH RETCAST. We have patron tiers of all sorts of levels, so you can get a little something back for yourself while also supporting the show. You can get access to our Discord server if you want. You can see historic Challenger Stats picks. There's so much going on there and more over at patreon.com slash And the very special weekly shout-outs that we give to patrons just for supporting us. So this week, a very special shout-out to John Rondello. So thank you, John Ron. <laughs> Appreciate it so much. Ron Rondello is... It's almost as cool as Manginello, like the beefcake of a, of a celebrity <laughs> magic player, but but it's very close. So,
0: John Ron, thank you so much. What do you mean not quite? I really like it. Like, there's a rhyme even in there. I really like that name. Our our patrons have some really cool names. I'm not going to lie. These shout-outs are, like, fun for us to do, to shout out, like, hey, thank you so much for the support. But, like, also, y'all's names are really neat, so I'm way into
2: it. We're, we're sorry, patron supporter Joe Smith. We. It seems <laughs> unlikely if we might might wind up picking you for one of these intros.
0: Wait, excuse me. First of all, I don't know if we have a patron named Joe Smith. Second of all, my name is Joe. So what are you saying about people named Joe? Fair point. Yeah. Okay. You know what? At at the risk of uh, immediately getting sidetracked, let's just hop into our main topic. We were talking about the decks that we do and don't bring to events, conventions, magic fests, GP, whatever. You know, when we are going to go and play Commander with folks, uh, we, you know, there's only so much that we can bring and what helps guide the decision for it. Um, So Dana, how about we pass this topic right off to you? What is the, what's on your mind when it comes to this topic right off the bat?
2: Sure. So, th- so this is, I think, a very useful topic. In in the reason, I mean, yes, it's fun talking about our own decks. Everyone enjoys talking about their stuff. But I, I do think this is useful, in, in, like in the macro sense, and I think that's why we're talking about it here. I, it's a little bit similar to the show we did a little a few weeks ago, where we talked about like our biggest mistakes in terms of card evaluation. Hmm. It's not really important that like I got you know Tamio safekeeping wrong. <laughs> What's kind of important there is why I got it wrong, which we tried to talk about a little bit. So so if you understand the nature of the mistake, then maybe it's easier to not make that mistake, both for us to not do it and for you as a listener to not do it. So... While our specific decks might not be that relevant to you, you know, yes, Joey is going to bring a you know his Baba Lasagna deck or something, <laughs> um, but th- the reasons are what are, are important, maybe more than the, the specific deck itself. So like, hopefully, some of the thought process is what's useful here. I I appreciate you saying that. Although Dana, I again have to I resent the
0: implication that you're making. Uh, are you saying that all of our listeners don't have Baba Lasagna decks? Like,
2: doesn't I, didn't yeah, everyone I, build my baby lasagna? Isn't, I, I assume at this point everyone's built it, but yeah. In just, case you were one of those freaks who didn't, <laughs> one of those one of those kids who doesn't get to sit at the cool kids table. Oh, no, no. Are you? let don't don't put it that
1: way. You are. You can, at, if you didn't build a Baba Lasagna deck, you can sit at the other cool kid table with everybody else.
0: That's we'll right. be uh, there. I'll be there. Oh, okay, okay, we, we we just gotta get into it. I you know I actually want to open with a quick question for this topic. Before we get to the specific uh, the specific reasons about why we do or don't bring certain decks, I actually want to ask first, how many decks that you intend to bring to events like this? Like Matt, how many decks would you say that you actually bring to an event to convention things like that, versus how many decks you actually own?
1: Uh, so I just realized that I'm up to 16 decks, and I I have never in my Magic <laughs> career had that many decks. I'm I think 10 is my previous high. But so I realize that because like I have so many of the most recent precons, like I, every mm-hmm. round of precons, I seem to pick one up because they're all just so good. So yes, my my collection has grown, and there's no way in any universe that I'm bringing all 16 decks <laughs> to an event. I just for one, I don't have time to to play all 16 decks. I, I would love to, but also, like, that becomes unwieldy. So, whenever I see people, and there's, if that's what you want to do, if you want to pack all your 25 decks into a, <laughs> a little red wagon and bring them into the hall, cool. That's, that's good on you. I just, I know that I'm not going to have enough time in, in, in a whole weekend even to get as many games in as, as I want or to play all the decks that I would like to play. Um, so I, I definitely have to be choosy. I think at the most, when we, when we all went to uh, Command Fest. Richmond, for example, I think I brought eight, and that even felt
0: like a lot. i i I would sign off honestly like my reaction right here when you said eight i'm like that's more than i bring i think i bring about six and even then sometimes i struggle Mm -hmm. and i'm like maybe i should only bring five uh just like what what can actually fit inside of a bag and there are like those quivers that i want to get and like those those i think usually suit about five decks and i'm really interested in getting one of those um so like that's i'm in like the five to six range eight is high but i also get it dana where do you think you fall number wise on the decks you bring
2: so, so I think it does depend, you know, if you are someone who has, like, all your decks in one of those Norm Abrams from this old house toolbox kind of things, <laughs> it's much easier to bring, you know, 8 what? or 10 or 12 decks. I think than if you're someone who's throwing an actual deck box in a backpack, mm-hmm. um, I am not someone who, who does that. Number one, it, it just feels it doesn't f- feel safe enough for me personally. I like to have mine in a, like a nice hard deck box yeah. in my backpack. It just feels easier to control. Um Then you have this situation, like, uh, you can only bring so many with you per day. You can only play so many decks. You can only lug around that much weight if you're throwing a deck box. Yeah. yeah. So the question then becomes, do I want to bring, like, 10 decks and then rotate them? But then you have to leave some behind in the hotel room, which is always very scary. Mm -hmm. Um, I have done that in the past, uh, but I probably uh, shouldn't have, and I don't think I'm going to again, so... I think I am going to bring eight decks and just deal with the uh, the weight of bringing eight. That's not ideal. I, I probably should bring six, but I think I'm going to bring eight this time. Okay. Well, and, and that's probably a whole
1: other separate podcast episode even. is like, what do you bring to a magic fest? What do you bring to a command fest? Right. Like, I have, I have a very handy backpack. It's one of those security backpacks with a built-in phone charger and all that stuff. And that comfortably fit all eight decks. But also... I might take a couple less because that's more room for snacks. Yes. I love snacks. Mm-hmm. I eat a lot. Uh, but but yeah, there, there's so many different ways you can set it up. It, it's always a concern of mine when I see people on social media talking that they bring every single deck they own. And to me, that's mm-hmm. asking for disaster. So yes. my, my biggest suggestion to everyone is don't bring every single deck. Yes, you never think something bad is going to happen, but you never know. Um, just don't bring every single deck that you own. I understand why you would want to show show them off because yeah, they're your babies. Um, but don't bring anything more than you can afford to lose. It, it, it's such, yes. it's such a, big lesson learned.
0: Yeah, you like there's also a security issue with it, too. Like you want to be able to keep mm-hmm. an eye on all of your stuff. And while you want to be prepared for any table that you sit down at, you also want to be able to keep track of your stuff in a very succinct way. And like the yes. more room for snacks for bringing a water bottle for bringing a phone charger. Like that's important. Matt, you are snack dad at these conventions like you make sure that I, people I, are eating because in those <laughs> convention halls, they there ain't windows like you will forget what time it is. You will look up and check someone's phone and be like, oh, wait. Oh, no, my phone is at 20% charge. It's four and I haven't eaten breakfast or <laughs> (laughs) lunch and it's about to be dinner time like that will absolutely happen you're
1: right that could be fun fun story actually uh so at magic fest or command fest richmond i had to like slip m ms in the corner of joey's mouth because he wouldn't get up to go (laughs) eat so that was how we kept him going throughout the day
0: wow okay so let's get into some actual let's move
2: on (laughs) he had like one of those those water bottles like a gerbil has that he could just like stop okay (laughs) we're we're feeding him next to it yeah
1: None of this actually happened, but it is fun to, to see how Joey reacts to these. Things.
0: I was just like, I don't know what to do with this. So we're just going to move on. So I'm going to try and move on. All right. I, I will start off by saying here's one of my like the things that I do. I'm definitely bringing or like the touchstones, the the uh, the fan favorite decks, for example, my commander commander deck where every card in the deck has to say the word commander on it has been a really big hit. And it's one of the most requested decks that I get when I sit down to play with strangers um, and that and as well as my Babala Saga deck that y'all mentioned earlier, those are two that I always know i am definitely bringing because they're kind of a signature deck so like that is i think where i start when it comes to this do you guys have that same type of feeling like matt is that also the case for you do you think so i definitely want to bring my signature decks uh
1: i I know because i recently asked on social media what deck should i bring Um, i know a lot of people from watching twitch.tv slash edh reccast have seemed very interested in my Raga Draga gorguts boss deck Uh, that's my eldrazi tribal actually because uh, Raga Draga gives creatures with man abilities plus two plus two And Eldrazi Scions and Spawns happen to have mana abilities. So it's a fun, fun different take. Uh, It's a really fun deck. That's so Uh, cool. Whenever you animate lands to become creatures, they also get pumped up. There's a lot of just secret synergies that I've discovered with that deck. A lot of people have been excited about it. I I love that. Uh, So I'm definitely going to bring that. Uh, I I would... (laughs) I probably would lose all credibility if I didn't bring at least one Selesnya deck. So <laughs> I will have to bring uh have to bring my Trostani deck. Uh used to be my Miri Weatherlight duelist. It's turned into a Panharmonicon deck and it's been a lot of fun. So yeah, those sick I understand the the urge to bring signature decks. Because yeah that's kind of what we have a lot of fun with. We talk about these decks a lot and understandably, you know, we get requests for us to play them.
0: Dana, what do you think? How about you?
2: Yeah, I definitely have a couple of signature kind of decks I will bring and and ideally those will overlap um with a, with a few other things you're trying to do as well like, you know, spreading out the power so you have decks to play different power levels as well mm. so hopefully you can try to make that work and it it just so happens i have a couple decks that people do tend to request to play whether it's my recce deck or my glissa deck those are probably the two that get requested most often they are at relatively different power levels as well so that kind of also covers a different a couple of different bases there so yeah that's very much something i try to do because it, yeah as a content creator people ask to see decks they they ask to see them on stream and even more so in person, people specifically seek you out and like, "Hey, I want to see you play your Reki deck." And then uh, I've even had situations just happened in Richmond where uh, a couple people wanted to play against Reki, and I'm like, "Okay, well, we started having the power level conversation. Like, yeah, we don't, we don't care. We just want to see the deck and and, and get beat if it so happens. <laughs> the okay. power level matchup didn't even matter in that case. They like wanted to see if the deck could go off, and it, and it did. And that was. That also made for an interesting thing I kind of wasn't ready for where the, the primary concern there was playing against the deck and seeing me play the deck versus whether or not it was like an evenly matched power situation. Um, so that happens sometimes too, particularly if you're a content creator. People just want to see it played. And I think that is like probably the takeaway that I want most is like the deck that you
0: want to be known for is the way to interpret this lesson, right? (laughs) Like I like being known for baby lasagna. I think that she's really fun. And if you've got a very special brew that is like very dear to you and you've done something clever with it, that is you know definitely the thing to start. Like Matt, your Eldrazi scion stuff with the Raga Draga, that's really inventive. I haven't seen that take on Raga Draga from other people. So like regardless of content creator or not, like that's the type of energy that I'd love to see from people. So that signature deck style isn't an exclusive thing to content creators, but by any means, like that, is where I would want to start with. Like the clever stuff is a, a great place to start.
1: Yeah, I, I can one hundred percent confirm that the decks and the people that I remember the the most vividly, looking back on events, are the ones that had interesting takes or some something memorable about it. Like, and it stinks that you only remember the extremes, but. Like we remember uh, a good friend of the podcast, Josh Swope, who had a Varchild deck, who had these little plastic figurines <laughs> that they would hand out <laughs> because the the commander gives other players survivors. So they brought like these funny little tokens that was at an event three, four years ago now. Yeah. And all three of us still remember that. Yeah. That yeah, event, yeah. like getting to play with Josh. Yeah. Yeah. It's super funny. Or, or at the most recent event that I went to... Um, There's a Vadric Astral Archmage deck. And I remember that because they had a very interesting take. They were doing some fun things with it. So making memories and and finding a way to stand out because there's so many just copy paste EDH rec lists out there. Um, So finding ways to approach and just make your deck memorable. That's a great thing. No matter who you are, you can stand out from the crowd by, by taking a different approach or just finding a way to take the commander and make it stand out somehow.
0: Mm hmm and Dana you had also mentioned another thing which is a good uh, habit a good lesson as well to take away about like having a wide power range so like this is my next step like I've got the decks that I consider my signature or whatever but then I also want to make sure that I bring something that's like a little bit on the jank side and then also something that's a little bit on the optimized side so I might have my I I again mentioned that commander commander deck which is like like it definitely doesn't work but it's also easily like you know it it is jank it's committing to a theme very very hard (laughs) whereas Conrad that's an optimized boy like he, he does not pull punches in that deck at all and so that is another thing that would help guide like you know i want to be prepared for any experience when i sit down i'll have a good range of different things that i can bring to the table so dana what are examples of that for you would you say
2: yeah so my recce deck definitely plays um you know it's, it's clearly not a cedh deck but like i i have no problem hanging with those sub cedh power decks with that one it's just very resilient it's very quick so, so that kind of is something that, that slots into that spot. I have my Kedison Krom deck also kind of plays in that same space. Mm. So as a result, I don't know if I will bring them both. Okay. And since the Wrecky deck also fills the, the void of something that, that people tend to want to play against, well, then I probably will just bring one deck because it's going to kind of do, it's kind of a, it, it's a modular card. It's the, the equivalent of a modular card in terms of a deck. It's going to fill two roles. So I will probably bring the Wrecky deck, and I will probably not bring Teddison Crom because it only plays at that power level, and I tend to not play that many games at that power level anyway, so I definitely probably don't need two decks to do that, and I'll stick with the one that's kind of one that people will want to see.
1: Yeah, going across power levels, just up and down the spectrum, it's a very handy thing to to bring. I, I definitely will be bringing my Angry Omnath deck. That's probably my most powerful or, or tuned deck at this point in time. It's also my oldest deck. It's, it's something that's been around for Gosh, probably since our round battle for Zendikar released. So yeah, it's nice to have something that's going to play fun, play nice. You know, somebody's playing their their My Little Pony tribal deck. You can sit down and play something with that. But then also, if you people want to, you know, not pull any punches, you have that option there. So having all sorts of decks with different powering levels. That's going to be very, very important to make sure you're not missing out on any games because of the power level discrepancies.
0: Yeah. And Dana, I love what you mentioned there about how like bringing Reki precludes you from bringing another deck that operates at that level. I do definitely feel that like you you don't want to bring like three decks that would operate at that level because you might not play it very often. Like I mentioned my Conrad deck, which I make sure to bring because I love Conrad deck. I want to make him like I I, I just absolutely love Conrad, but I also re- he's the deck that I easily play the least often at any of these events because most of the time the games that I'll uh, sit down and play with people will be a lot more social and less sweaty. And Conrad's a <laughs> very like, sure he takes he takes the game very seriously, you know, and not too many of the games will actually be that way. So if I brought like three very optimized decks i probably wouldn't get to play any of them multiple times let alone play all of them at all you know
1: well i think that's probably one reason why i'm excited to have my council of four deck that i probably will be bringing to events in the near future mm. because that deck scales so well to what the rest of the pot is doing mm. the council of four it, it you get benefits basically for the more your opponents are doing if they're drawing multiple cards per turn you get to draw multiple cards if they're casting multiple spells you get creatures so if somebody's playing like a lower powered deck and they're not doing a whole lot, you're not getting a whole lot of bonuses from them. But also I play a lot of mind control effects. I, I took a lot of inspiration from Sheldon Menery's you did this to yourself deck, kind of <laughs> ways that you're beating up your opponents using their own things. So my council four deck, I play a mind control in there and mind control is only as good as the creatures across the table. So if they're not able to handle some high powered thing, they're probably not playing that anyways. So I can't steal anything that's great if they're not playing something great so it's, it's just a very fun deck that i enjoy playing because if people are playing a little more powerful decks it can still hang with those because i'm getting resources for them doing more things but if they're kind of sitting and playing a slower pace i'm going at a slower pace too and it's just i'm really excited to see how that plays out because i haven't gotten a chance to play it a whole lot outside of our, our twitch streams with the three of us and our guests
0: Oh Matt, I love that. That that is such so key to like like that is a deck that you can always make sure is social and like I, I, there there's no way that you're not going to create memories with a deck that scales that way, you know? Like that is such a great th- thing to prioritize. So I really really enjoy you saying all of that. That is a an experience that resonates deeply with me. So thank you so much for bringing it to to the attentions, you know? I appreciate you.
1: Well, I, I do what I can. I I try to be mindful of experiences and that's just a, a nice way that I've been able to be mindful of experiences in the deck building process, not just from the, the commander selection and all that. So
0: Yeah, yeah, there you go. All right, so we've touched on some of the like some of the do's, some of the things that we do bring that we do focus on for the stuff that we uh when we want to go to an event. But there are also some stuff, you know, like what are the things that we definitely don't bring? And that will be fun to get into. But let's save that for the the back half of the show because, you know what? I actually just want to get into challenging some stats, you guys. I think that that's what I'm in the mood for right now. I just got back from Magic 30. I'm feeling really great about it. I know that this episode is coming out two weeks after that event. But still,
2: I am in the mood to challenge some dang stats. So how about we take a break for that? What do you say? Let's do it. So first up this week, I want to challenge the stats on a card that is Less a challenge than just a suggestion that you run it, because I, I understand why it's only in 2,600 decks, because it's from way back in Visions, and it is around $10 now. Um, City of Solitude. <laughs> it's an enchantment for two and a green. Each player may play spells and abilities only during his or her turn. Now, I, I see how that can be something that you have, because it affects you as well, and it's the the kind of card that... If you're hoping to do things at instant speed, it's going to prevent you as well as your opponents from doing it. The reason I think this card should see more play is almost every green deck I've ever played against wins via killing people with creatures turned sideways. (laughs) Um, Every deck that Matt plays definitely kills people that way in, in green. And the biggest problem you have when you play with those decks is someone playing a Fog, or worse, an Aetherize or aether Spouts kind of spell that turns your Alpha Strike into a get-you-killed next-turn strike because you have no blockers, or worse, you have nothing because they bounce it out of your hand. City of Solitude is a card that you can play in green and just treat it like a I don't care about next turn, I'm not worried about stopping this effect all game. I just don't want you to play a Fog this turn. I just don't want you to play an Aetherize or an aether Spouts this turn. I am going to Alpha Strike successfully and kill you. It's an amazing card to run in a green turn sideways thing deck. (laughs) There's nothing else that really does things quite like that. And I think it should see more play. And the reason it doesn't probably is is less that people aren't running it than it is. They're not aware it exists, but excellent card. And if you have a chance to pick one up, I would pick one up. It's amazing in green. Turn sideways dot deck. I think you just described yes. all of Matt's decks there, Dan. And, and plenty of mine as well. So
0: <laughs> most of my decks. Let's let's yeah. be generous, please. <laughs> be generous. Okay. I, I like that. All right. I'll move to uh my challenge here now. And I I am actually a little bit um a little bit surprised. I, I can't believe that I haven't challenged the card in still energy before on this podcast. I, I feel like that is irresponsible of, of me to not have challenged this card before, and I'm going to do that now because uh, this card costs less than a dollar, and it's absolutely flipping great. So it is a one mana green aura. enchant creature, enchanted creature has haste, and you can pay zero to untap the enchanted creature, but only once during your turn. It's currently showing up in about 8,000 decks, which is a good amount, but like there are a lot of commanders that need to be using this way more often. It's a one mana green aura that gives basically any of your creatures, but usually your commander, haste, and it can untap. And that is so good for any commander that has a tap ability. Yes, I know I've talked about Babala saga already in this episode, and yes, this card does a lot of work in that deck. But that is not the only case where this would be such a powerhouse to use. Like the new Baru Worm Speaker, for example, has an amazing tap ability that gets super super cheap, and being able to activate it multiple times a turn would be awesome. Uh, Willow Dusk was another one that has a cheap uh, tap ability that you'd want to use multiple times a turn to put extra plus one counters on stuff. Kaidel can give you even more mana. The new Megas Lucia Kane from the Warhammer decks also has a tap ability. Like... Anything with a cheap activated ability is just going to go off with this card. It is super, super good, and it costs less than a dollar. So, instilled energy. I'm sorry that I haven't challenged you before, but I'm finally getting around to it now. You are a super, super good card, and I hope that decks that have tap ability commanders in green get to play you even more because you are legit an amazing, amazing card.
2: One note I'll quick throw out about this too is I think there's kind of this general knee jerk reaction to not run auras very often unless you're playing an enchantress deck because of the kind of general thinking that says like you don't want to get two for one. Sure. Who, who cares? It, it, it's <laughs> one, it's one, in this case especially. It's one thing if you're playing, like, five mana for some, you know, big aura, but, like, you're spending one mana here, and you're always going to get to use it one time. Yeah. So, it's almost, if you have an ability on your commander that's, like, that good that it's worth doing once and worth doing twice, you it paid for itself almost every time, even if somebody immediately removes it after you use it. Yeah. So, like, anything beyond that's gravy, and almost every time it pays for itself the one activation. Don't be afraid to use this just because you hear people say don't run auras because you'll get two for one unless you have a bunch of protection. It's still going to pay for itself in this deck. Well, and there's also been a reputation too,
1: like like you said, Dana, auras are bad because oh, you lose them if your creature gets removed. But they started putting auras that either replace themselves or go back to your hand if they go to the graveyard. There's a lot of kind of ways to recur those valuable aura spells, but people start playing them because they just think, oh, I don't want to play these because I'll get two for one. Yeah. But really, like they're they're getting around that downside pretty well lately. But people just aren't catching on.
0: One mana haste in green, too. Like, you can attack with your commander and then untap and still use its ability. Like, I just... Mm -hmm. I, I absolutely adore this card, and if I continue talking about it for too long, then I'll take up the rest of the show to do it. So how about, Matt, we just move it on to your challenge, and, and I'll just be happy over in my corner here.
1: Well, yeah, be happy in your corner times two, I guess, because uh, we actually have somebody that's challenging the stats uh, for a Willhelt deck. So oh. um, Jared Wanacott sent us an email that said uh, they actually saw you at Magic 30, Joey, so there you go. Hey. But also, they played a Wilhelt deck. The Rot Cleaver deck, which is a deck that, uh, Joey, I'd say you're very familiar with. A little bit. <laughs> making a lot of zombies, decayed <laughs> zombies, and all this stuff. And there's a card that they think is actually pretty ra- pretty gnarly, which I agree with. So uh, Jared said in their email, my challenge for the stats is for Wilhelm Rot Cleaver decks. And the card is Cultural Exchange. So Cultural Exchange is perfect for Wilholt because it lets you exchange any number of creatures with an opponent. So... Culture exchange for Blue Blue for a sorcery It says, choose any number of creatures target player controls, and then choose the same number of creatures another target player controls, and those players exchange control of those creatures. So, it was absolutely n- a busted answer to Absent Archangel of Hope, since Willhelm's creating all these decayed zombies in this Willhelm's deck, Joey, <laughs> you're able to make a whole bunch of them that... After they attack or
0: the, I believe they block too, Joey, you're the you're the zombie master. They can't block. They're, they're not allowed to block at all. They fall apart after one attack and they are not allowed to defend you. So that's perfect then if you have all these
1: decayed zombies that fall apart after they attack. Swap them out with things that aren't going to go away after they attack or that can block. Whatever you want to do. So if your pro- opponent has some high power creatures... You can use culture exchange to give them all these zombies, or if you just have a bunch of people that are beating up on each other, you can make them exchange it. It doesn't have to be the it doesn't have to be you and an opponent. It can be two opponents that change any number of creatures. <laughs> this is just a real flexible card, Jared. I love this. I think if you're making a whole bunch of worthless tokens, well, not worthless. I'm sorry, Joe. I didn't mean to besmirch your zombies. Of course, thank but you. a bunch of temporary tokens like that. <laughs> yes. uh, I think this is an absolutely great card. Uh, Currently, it's only been played in 1,650 decks total. So it's not really surprising. It's only showing up in one Wilhelm's deck. But yes, uh, Jared, this is an absolutely fantastic catch. If you have a bunch of tokens that you don't really care about and you want some high power creatures to
0: steal your opponent's stuff, great card. Perfect. (laughs) Well played this yeah that's extremely funny i'm I'm so into that that see that's the kind of thing that i would love to see unfurl at an event too you know like that is the the type of spice the type of cleverness that is like really cool to see when you go to these events that's the stuff that we live for so this is a very very funny challenge i don't know what's happening in that art by any means but i do like this challenge for sure
1: i mean it's it's also it's almost like a dana quality card too because it's back from odyssey was last time it was printed so um yeah, it's not quite visions. It does have a color on its <laughs> rarity symbol, but
0: it's still pretty old. Yeah, we're, we're hitting all the beats. Matt likes it. Joey likes it. It's old, so Dana likes it. All right, we we absolutely got there. <laughs> okay. Good, good pick, Jared. Good, good challenge. Picture oh man all right let's get back into our main topic here specifically let's try focusing now a bit more on like what are the reasons that you are not going to bring a deck to an event um and i think that there are a lot of reasons but dana how about you start us off here with with, with just one of the things that would make you look askance at a deck and be like i ain't bringing you with me on the plane or to this event
2: so i i tend to avoid any deck that's going to be slow or like take up game time, um, both because I I try to be considerate to the people I play with. And um, so I don't want to be monopolizing everyone's time in a pod. But I also just want to play games like I want to get as many games in as I can. That doesn't mean I want to end on turn four, but I also don't want to turn it into a 90 minute game because I'm doing things that make it last that long. So I will not be bringing my Jerry with eyes open deck to to the event. Because it's just slow. Playing, number one, mono-white decks tend to be a little bit slow. It's a mono-white Planeswalkers deck. Planeswalkers deck tend to be slow. I'm mm. um, combining those two things together. It's not a great combination for making games go quickly. Um, so I, I, I'm just not going to bring that because I don't want people to have to watch me, you know, roll up three Planeswalkers, then proliferate an effect and make a bunch <laughs> of tokens and... Maybe have a Catherine's Crusade out and do goofy stuff with that. And it, it the, the turns just take too long. And it's something I don't want to subject strangers to. And I don't want to <laughs> play a game that I could be playing two games during that same time window.
1: Yeah, that that's probably rule number one for me is I don't want to play in my decks that play solitaire effectively that's why my alila artful provocateur deck probably will not be making any trips anytime soon Mm. Uh, it it is a fun deck I, i like my saga tribal but unfortunately once the deck gets going it takes a lot of game actions and there's a lot of decisions to be made and and you know sagas when i recur all of them at the same time that's a lot of triggers that I have to go through. And it's just, it drags the game out. And there's just, there's so many game actions has to have to be done. Um, I don't like to bogart everybody's time. <laughs> uh, if you played in the, the, the Baldur's Gate pre-release with, pre-release with me, um, th- I don't like playing games like that. That's where I played like a 20 minute turn in a pre-release, but everybody was good sports. I don't want to depend on everybody to be good sports in every single game. Uh, so that's why Alila probably doesn't get played too often because it just, It sits there and either does nothing or does quite literally everything
2: in a lot of ways matt that deck plays similar to my shero deck right the sagas play very similar to Mm -hmm. planeswalkers in a lot of ways and yeah but they both have the same issues
0: that's also why I basically never bring my Kaneos and Tiro group hug deck to events as well. Like, it is a group hug deck, and I think group hug is usually perceived to, like, speed up games because you're giving a lot of resources around, but that is not the case for me with that deck. Like, I really enjoy playing it. I really like it, but it's a, a bit more of a controly type of strategy. Like, yes, I'm letting you do things, but I if I'm going to win this game, which I certainly plan to, I actually need some time to set up how that's going to go down and, like, find the board position where that's going to happen, and that's just, it, it's going to extend the the amount of time in a game and that's not the experience that i want to like like dana like you said i want to play a whole lot of games if i can and that deck can produce some much longer game states or or my elegant deck can be the same way like scry sphinx i draw so many cards in that deck it is so much fun it is sinfully fun it is so good but it takes a long time to find the win conditions in that deck too so i'm just like i i probably shouldn't bring you with because you might take a long time to finally close things down and the length of time in a game is a thing that i want to be conscious of so uh, probably another
1: category then, if we're, if we're not going to talk about time suckers, uh, <laughs> decks that like, I, I would say it's the Rafiq problem where you sit down, you thunder one person, and then you don't really contribute to the rest of the game because everybody beats you up. Oh. Uh, that's where my Valduck Keeper the Flame deck resides. I like it. And I know this is probably a, a signature deck by, you know, some people say they, they like my Valduck deck because nobody plays Valduck, but... Also, like, it has that problem where I get to either thunder one person and then the other two people kind of get hip to the to the jib <laughs> and they just beat me up. So it's it's fun with certain circles, but also sometimes the deck, it's so hard to get moving because I have to play a bunch of equipment and I have to suit them up. And, and I'm playing mono red, so it's not like I have a great mana. So yeah, it's just a deck that, that at its best, it just takes one person out of the game super early and then they
0: just sit and watch. And that's just not a great experience. I totally feel that. That's why one, one of the decks I know I'm never going to bring to events is uh, my Graven deck because he has that exact same problem. He can, as you called it, thunder one person out of the game really easy. Like it's easy to commander damage with Graven, but he does it one at a time. And usually people find answers before I can get to player two and player three. Um, so that means that one person might be stuck sitting there for 10 minutes, 20 minutes. And that's not the experience that I want them to have. So mm. Matt, I completely feel you on this one.
2: Yeah, um, I've I've had decks that very much function that way too. My my Annex Mono Red deck very much did that where like if I kicked off, I would punch one person in the teeth and then (laughs) everyone else would stop me from doing that. So like someone stuck sitting there. That's one of the things I I really do like about my Arden and SCR equipment deck. Um, Being in Azorius, it gives me ways to, like after I kill somebody it's much easier for me to control the board from that point on and, and mm. keep that that removal situation from, from somebody like, oh, I don't want to deal with that that bird wearing six swords next turn. Well, <laughs> everyone, it's a bird wearing six swords, right? So it has protection from a bunch of colors. I have access to blue, so I have access to counter spells. It's much easier for me to, yeah, I'm going to kill one person, but there's a good chance I'm going to kill someone else next turn and someone else a third turn after that, and I can keep control of things while that's happening in a way that I couldn't in mono red playing that that Anax deck, so Anax isn't going. Whereas I'm much more comfortable bringing Arden and Scur because I can, when I despite playing Voltron, I can actually finish things off relatively quickly.
0: Yeah, 100%. And I think that this is maybe sort of like a sister topic to that, but there are also the decks that I would call like swingy or inconsistent um, might be another thing that's like kind of on my mind with those decks too. So like my Martin Stromgald deck, for example, is one that I really, really like. That is the mono red commander who when he attacks uh, with a bunch of other creatures, say you're attacking with like five goblins, those goblins will all get plus five plus five because there are five attacking creatures. Like that is a very explosive deck. Like if it does the thing, it is huge. I attack for like over 300 damage and it's so so much fun um the the issue is that it's also pretty inconsistent uh it doesn't always do that necessarily so it can either it's i don't know it's an all or nothing type of deck and so for me if i don't get to do the thing if you know martin keeps getting removed or or stuff like that if the deck isn't able to lead up to that one big explosion i i will probably be the one who's just kind of sitting there top decking not being able to contribute much to the game, and also. Not even that I don't get to do anything, it's that I'm not able to make the game end very well either, and that's a thing that I'm aware of where it makes me feel like I've accidentally. Mm-hmm. played a, a slower deck just because it's not able to actually get any momentum going forward whatsoever so like that that swingy style is also a thing that i tend to be pretty aware of but like can this deck get off the ground and will it just sort of feel like i'm only stuck your top decking if i don't get to get it off the ground at all that's a thing that i want to be careful about if i'm going to bring to an event and usually i'm just like let me find a deck that's a bit more consistent in the experience instead yeah the, the consistency
1: is where my real the everwise deck absolutely suffered uh it it took a while to turn the corner and when it did it even took the corner very elderly <laughs> uh, it, it it was hard <clears throat> like i i enjoyed the concept of the deck but in playing the deck it became a very very different experience for me mm. and that's probably why i scrapped it like i turned it into my Balmore deck that i now have uh pieces got carried over but that i would not have brought real the otherwise cuz i also had to realize that It was a control deck. It needed to slow the game down, but mm-hmm. even then, people don't like it when you slow them down. I had to stop people from doing things, and I would 100% much rather punish people for doing things than stop them from doing it altogether. Just We, we talk a lot about how players don't like losing agency in the game, and that deck definitely took agency out of everybody's hands. Because that's that's what the deck had to do to win. So I'm, I'm glad that I had the deck for a little bit. I'm also glad that it's in a different form now. Mm. So that maybe I might consider bringing it to events in the future.
0: Yeah, it's like I don't want to waste anyone else's time. I don't want to waste any of my time. But specifically, I'd rather like that a win or a loss be more decisive. Is maybe that the mm-hmm. the way? For, it's like yeah. it's not up in the air. It's not unsure. It's not a, a lingering uh, uncertainty. Just like oh, I definitely ha- have lost because I actually physically lost the game is a, a much easier, a cleaner experience uh, for sure. So that's that that is a a way that resonates for sure.
2: Yeah, I also don't want to. Have people feel like the game ended anticlimactically, mm. um, and I talked about trying to decide between at the power level, with my Reki deck and my and my Kedis Krom deck. That's kind of another strike against Kedis and Krom. Yes, that Reki deck can kind of snowball. But you can see it happening the turn it occurs i played a creature and drew a card and played a creature and oh like oh this is going to get out of control and it's out of control and then it happens yeah but, but there, there's a, there's chances to respond to that and the, people can see the snowball occurring as it's rolling downhill towards them versus my Kettison and Crown deck where like all of a sudden you you know it's it's my turn and OK, I, I'm swinging, I, you know, I, I cast Kedis and I, I swing at somebody with Chrom and all of a sudden, you know, Brute Force comes down at instant speed and then Built to Smash comes down and now he's, <laughs> Kedis is a 10-10 and then I double his damage with unleashed Fury and I copy that and suddenly everyone's taking 40 damage at instant speed and I'm playing Blue-Red so I have Counter Magic to back that up. <laughs> the game ends in a way that that feels a little bit anticlimactic, it's not necessarily a infinite combo out of nowhere. But functionally it is, like it functionally works the same way to a degree, and I've, that can also be a less fun play experience, so it, I don't think the deck is a problem, but like when I'm trying to choose between two decks that an equal power level, well, that's just one more strike against that deck.
0: And this is the interesting thing. I actually really want to dig into that example there, Dana, because when you describe it as anticlimactic, I think that there's a lot of nuance going into whether or not that is – like what you just described to me, that sounds rad. Like that (laughs) is that is really (laughs) hecking cool. But that sounds rad to me as a person who's not actually in that game with you. right? And the thing that I think would make it feel anticlimactic is if you attacked one opponent, opponent A, for example, but then I, as opponent B – end up getting swept up in all of that and i lose through a thing that maybe you know i i had flying blockers but i still couldn't deal with it or or something like that like it feels like oh suddenly the game is over in a way that i just i fully didn't anticipate like that that is the experience of like oh I, i I guess the game is done
2: now. Like that's the. Right. Like You you had shields up. You thought you were going to be fine. And all of a sudden everyone just took 36 damage. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's also important to remember like what you are going to find to be climactic, you know, t- interesting because we play one another, you know, a couple times a week on stream and stuff is different than someone who's only getting to play me one time. Yes. I, I have to be conscious of that single experience versus. Like for you, that, that, that experience is, is much different when you know you're going to play me the next game and the next week and the next month
0: yeah and that's the type of thing like if you do bring that deck to uh you know to even just like to your lgs if you're just playing at a regular game Mm -hmm. night for example like that can be a good way into the discussion of like how the deck like tends to come out of nowhere is a good thing to lead up with about that absolutely it doesn't come as a surprise that might feel a little bit sad uh if if it does happen even though you thought you had shields up like that's a a good thing to be aware of for sure you know what that actually makes me kind of wonder like are there, Dana, would you say different conditions for the types of decks that you would bring to an event versus to an FNM or to a local game store commander night? Like, do you feel a difference in like what you bring with you to either of those different spaces?
2: Absolutely. But like in, in large part, it's because of uh, of an audience of people that I know and I'm friends with in a lot of cases or at the very least casual acquaintances with. And I, mm-hmm. I, I can... Know that I'm going to play them again. You know, maybe okay. even the same night multiple times. Versus someone who it's my one window to to give them a good time, have a good experience, whatever with that person. So yeah, absolutely. There's a much there's there's a much bigger difference. I, I'm much more comfortable doing things with my friends that like might wind up i'm much more comfortable with my friends playing that gero deck and wasting some of their time <laughs> when i know <laughs> that I, I, we're gonna play a bunch of games and they might do the same thing to me with one of their slower decks than i am with three strangers Uh that's yeah awesome. that, that that's that's
1: a super good point is is you want to shoot for decks that have a high percentage of of quality games however the i'm mean, sure there's some measurable thing that we could put together but I'm not smart enough to. So, but yeah, <laughs> bringing your decks that reliably lead to those good stories that re- lead to good interactive games. Uh, I know I personally probably won't ever bring a control heavy deck to any of these events because they drag the game out. They, they kind of check all the boxes that we've talked about of as far as things that you don't want to have happen in your games, especially when you have limited time and limited opportunities to, to meet new people that's the biggest thing is i want to respect my own time but also i want to respect those three strangers those three possible new friends that i've just met and make sure that their interactions with my decks and my deck building Mm -hmm. was a positive one and so when you're bringing those decks that okay i only play this one you know max was being a a butthead to me lately so i'm going (laughs) to stomp him with this deck that that, that's something that i'm definitely not going to have happen if i'm only getting to play people once or maybe twice over a certain
0: weekend
2: yeah and well, I, I think if I, I had a small work meeting this morning uh, on Zoom with with two coworkers that I've worked with at this point for like ten years, all three of us ate were eating breakfast on Zoom while we were having this meeting because we've known each other forever and who cares? Mm-hmm. Whereas, if I'm having a Zoom meeting with two people I haven't met before, I'm absolutely not eating oatmeal while I do that, right? Yeah. So th- that's how I think of it. It's, it's a difference between you know being on a Zoom meeting with. People you've known forever and and not and, and also going back to the
0: the time element that you just mentioned there, Matt. Like at these events, there's the, like there's a, a, another draft is firing at three that I really want that I signed up for that I paid money right. for. Like I, I I'm gonna have to cut out, and I hope that the game can you be oh, like yeah. decisively over by that point. Or there's another a thing's gonna happen at the main stage over there at this time, and I'm like I want to make sure that I can wrap up the game in a. In good amount of time so that i am ready to go get a seat for that and that kind of thing so that's an even bigger thing to be aware of not just to respect other people's time in the general sense but also to like literally respect the schedule of the events that are going on and the things that you wanted to do while you're there like you got to make time to go have those snacks and eat that lunch too because i mean you need to eat you need to bring room in in the bag for for the snacks and you can't
1: always (laughs) rely you can't rely on snack dad to put m&ms in your mouth (laughs) while you're playing your games
2: So that's a, that's a good, that's a good point, though. So so we've talked about decks that we're bringing. Does, do we have any basic advice for going to these events, things that you should bring beyond decks, things that you should be prepared for? And you know, we don't need to go into a, 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 a huge amount of detail. But I, I do think this is maybe a good chance to share a few of those beyond your deck tips.
0: Sure. A uh, phone charger absolutely is a lifesaver mm-hmm. for me. A portable phone charger has, a, like, I, I need to charge it every night while I'm there because my, my phone doesn't run out of battery very, very fast. And I don't even use my phone as the life total thing anymore. Like, I will bring one of those clicker uh, things for a life total as well mm-hmm. because I don't want to have to use my battery in order to track my, my life total for stuff. So that is that that is a huge one for me for sure. But. Mm-hmm. that's just me yep matt do you bring a lot I of agree. m&ms for everyone or <laughs> <laughs> yes
1: um I, I i absolutely do absolutely want to second the the portable battery pack just get one for like 10 15 bucks on amazon or, or wherever you am sure your local electronic store whatever um absolutely invaluable especially if you're flying to events oh, yeah. um percent. just get get a portable battery pack uh but also bring a refillable water bottle mm. Stay hydrated. It's so easy to lose track of time. Uh, you for you know we, we joke about Joey forgetting lunch, but there was one day I'm pretty sure you forgot to eat lunch. I did, and so I did. Yeah, so yeah, make sure that you bring a refillable water bottle after every game. And, and I know you know time is a resource at these events. Dana Dana says life is a resource. Time is absolutely a resource. There's no unwinding clock in real life, <laughs> so you you can't just revert back so uh for sure absolutely make the most of your time so play a game get up stretch refill your water bottle find another game it's just a five ten minute thing you're going to be more attentive you're going to be more awake versus just sitting down for eight hours at a time Mm -hmm. it's just oh so yeah snacks water bottle those are my two big contributions it doesn't have to be anything super heavy but just something
2: to keep your blood sugar stable
0: yeah and dana what about you anything else that you would also want to make sure that you bring to events too
2: so um, I, I don't know what the Android equivalent is, but because I, I happen to have an iPhone, but I, I, I have an AirTag that I have in my backpack that basically will track my backpack mm. um, using my mm-hmm. phone, and it will send me an alert if the backpack gets more than like 15 feet away from me. Um, you know, it's never came up before. I've never had anyone try to walk away with the pack. Or I've never forgot it, you know, at a table and walked away. But I, I I have at an event, at least at Richmond one time, I left my bag with um our, our friend Chris while I ran, I think to get some food and I, I took maybe 10 steps when I got the alert. So like it, it's, it works. Um, I, I would spend the, you know, $20, $25 on that kind of a thing. I think particularly if you are someone who's bringing a backpack with half a dozen decks in it, mm. for me, it's worth it just for the peace of mind, let alone the fact that it might actually save you from from losing your backpack at some point, either through, you know, someone doing something sketchy or just an accident. You just happen to like set it down and you're having a conversation and you walk away. That, that kind of thing does happen. So mm-hmm. I, I would recommend that just if nothing else, like I said, just for the peace of mind.
0: Yeah, I, when I'm sitting down at a, at a table, I always like to put my bag squarely between my feet and I always feel it there. I'm just like, oh, maybe I'll loop mm-hmm. like the, the the strap of the bag around something. Like, I, I want to make sure that I'm always aware yep. of where my stuff is. It's a good habit to be to be in, just to make sure that I can actually be present with the people that are sitting in the game with me and that I don't have my mind like partially aware of other mm-hmm. stuff, partially worried. I've got a nagging, a, a nagging worry at the back of my brain that is like making me not fully able to engage with the people who I'm there to play mm-hmm. magic with in the first place. Because uh, that's that's the thing for me is that I want to be able to focus on playing awesome games with you. I want to see those amazing new decks that you've got. I've, I want to see what your Quayne and your Tangarth are doing. I, I want to see how you're able to mill people out in an Is it deck? I've never seen that before. Like like show me that'll be really cool. I didn't know that Rutha could do that. Like those are the experiences I want to be able to focus on.
1: Yeah, it, j- that my secret move, Joey, is kind of what you alluded to is. Uh, when I'm sitting down, I put my backpack like on the floor between my between my feet, and I kind of wrap my feet up in the the shoulder straps. So that way, I know for sure, you know, nothing's going to happen to my bag. It's secure there. My, I'm all tangled up in it. So if somebody's going to take it, they're taking me. And I'm I'm not a small person. I'm not big, but I'm not a small <laughs> person either. So um, my backpack just isn't that portable. Yeah, peace of mind is such a big thing, and just yeah. forgetting your stuff. It, There's there's lots of different things that you can do, but yeah, just make sure you're not bringing too much to to be able to keep an eye on. That's a huge huge thing.
0: And actually, I kind of to bring this back around to like the decks that we do or do not bring. Like Dana, you mentioned your Galissa deck earlier, which is definitely one of your signature decks, and that's why you would be bringing it to these events. But I actually almost wonder like. I I guess I have a little bit of surprise because that's a very fiddly deck. Like that's a deck that requires quite a lot of mental prowess (laughs) to actually pull off because you've got eight dozen triggers happening every eight seconds, you know. Um, And so I almost wonder—is like that a thing that also goes into your evaluations when you're bringing a deck that you want to have like hone it down to a simpler time because you know that you're going to be playing like a bunch of games over the course of the many, many, many hours that you're there—is like that mental fatigue. Also, a thing that uh, factors into the decks or the items that you bring in the way you know we talked about just like not having to worry about a backpack, but maybe is Glissa the magic equivalent of that? Like, I, I don't know if this question is making any sense, but like, yeah, does the no. mental fatigue play a role here?
2: It, it absolutely does. It's it's going to affect when I play the deck for sure. I'm not going to play it for you know after six o'clock at night or something, particularly at an event I've been at state in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm gonna I'm I'm going to pick and choose my moments for that deck because it is very difficult to play and. Yeah, like in the best of circumstances, I think you notice that your ability to multitask and ability to play complicated decks declines as the day goes on. Um, And that is something that happens even if you're just playing your LGS for an evening, let alone if you're like cranking out a 14-hour session which happens at these events sometimes like there's definitely been times when we've got there at eight in the morning played till the hall closed and then went and played somewhere else after hours absolutely like you just i don't care how skilled you are after that much time, your ability to play those decks just declines. Your, your, your brain is just tired. And bear that in mind, at least based on, even if it's not the decks you bring, when you play the decks you bring over the course of that timeline. That's a really good lesson. Yeah.
1: Not not bringing decks or, or at least playing decks a certain time where you can't manage it. Um, absolutely. I I know I'm guilty of that, which is probably why I've been reconfiguring so many decks lately, is finding ways that I can play them. Pretty much whenever I want and I'm not going to lose track. And there's, ab- I mean, it's hard to lose track sometimes with, or it's easy to lose track, I should say, with cards like the Great Henge, because that does everything. <laughs> yeah. But it's still like minimizing the chances you have for for mistakes and oopsies. I just don't want to embarrass myself too. But also, I don't want to put my my opponents in situations like, man, what, what are you doing? Come on, <laughs> come on, be better than that. That's that's the worst part. I I, I don't
0: want to put my opponents in that situation either. Yeah, yeah, I totally feel that. But you know what? I, I actually, I've got to say, there's another thing that you guys didn't mention that I'm really surprised that you didn't mention that you both especially absolutely need to be aware to bring to these events. It is clearly the most important thing to everyone that we will meet. Y'all had better have a lot of dad jokes ready for everyone that you meet because <laughs> it is a, a thing that we are now infamous for and Folks seem to love it and they tell it to their coworkers and to their friends and family. Again, to those coworkers and friends and family, I am so sorry for what we've done to the world. But Matt, Dana, I, I hope that you guys are very prepared uh, because it seems um, <laughs> like you better be slinging not just some spells, but also some terrible puns.
1: <laughs> I, I will make sure that I'm, I'm wearing a sweater at least so I will always have something on my sleeves. Just a oh, nice... Good plan man. I actually I actually got to use that earlier in real life with my girlfriend so that was always fun. <laughs> tell her she she was she was equally as ashamed to be involved with yep. me. So uh, tell her we're um, sorry. <laughs> yep, she knows how you feel.
0: So, that is so great. All right, with that I think it's probably time for us to wrap this episode up and call it to a close. Listeners, we would love to know what are you your, your do's and don'ts for the decks, the things that you will or won't bring to these events and what is the case for those. We are so excited to see you all at events too. Like it was just absolutely marvelous to meet y'all at Magic 30 and all three of us are going to be at the Summit event, which will be super cool and plenty of events in the future. It is always rad when we get to interact with the community. It is seriously so much fun and we would love to hear what you do and don't bring to those events and why. But... Let's call it there. Matt, if folks want to get in touch with you, where is it that they can find you online?
1: So you can find me on the Twitter at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash EDHRETCast. We have guests on every single week, so it's always a super fun time. So make sure you tune in Wednesday evenings. And Dana, how about you?
2: You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach. You can hear me on my other podcasts, CMDR Central. I'm writing articles for DH Rec and Commander's Herald. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash
0: and I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can find the cast at EDH Recast on Facebook and on Twitter. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at edhretcast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. And listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH, wreck your deck before you wreck your deck.